Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to seek your ways now and, to so, and so to walk about in freedom, no longer enslaved to sin, but living for righteousness. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, to place it in its context, I'll give you again an overview of what has happened up to this point in Israelite history. Of course, you firstly, you get the creation of the world with Adam and Eve. From Adam and Eve, you eventually get Abraham. From Abraham, you eventually get the 12 tribes of Israel. And from those tribes, they end up in Egypt. Uh, and Moses leads them out of the slavery in Egypt into the Promised Land. Uh, well, he doesn't take them into the Promised Land, but Joshua does. Uh, while they're in the Promised Land, uh, they have a series of judges who rule over them, and then they ask for a king. Uh, Samuel is the prophet who gives them the first king of Israel, who is Saul. Uh, Saul increasingly is shown to be one who is rebellious against the Lord's ways, and so David is anointed as the next king of Israel. But you've got this period now that we're still in where Saul is alive and David is alive, and Saul knows that David is increasing in his power, and so Saul has been increasingly trying to attack David, and David has been forced to flee and live amongst the Philistines, the enemy of Israel, and we've been exploring what that means, that he's been living amongst them. And last week we saw, uh, well not last week, last time I preached, we saw that David was in this great dilemma where he was being forced to march out with the Philistines against the Israelites. And in this dilemma, God provided a deliverance in that he was allowed to leave with the favour of the Philistines, uh, but, and then he was not having to earn the disfavour of the Israelites by fighting against them in war amongst the Philistines. So he has been told to leave, and that's what we saw at the end of chapter 29, and go back to his town in the Philistine territory, the town of Ziklag. But when he comes back, he's been delivered from this great dilemma. When he comes back, what has happened? Well, David has found great loss at home. What's happened at home? Well, a flood of troubles have descended upon him as the Amalekites have come and raided his town and, of course, a number of other towns in that area. We read in verse 1, David... This is chapter 30 of 1 Samuel. David and his men reached Ziklag on the third day. Now the Amalekites had raided the Negev and Ziklag. They had attacked Ziklag and burned it and had taken captive the women and all who were in it, both young and old. They killed none of them, but carried them off as they went on their way. When David and his men came to Ziklag, they found it destroyed by fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. What is this flood of troubles that has come upon David? Well, firstly, of course, there's political instability in the area. As these Amalekites have come in, they've attacked the, the towns that uh, David is living amongst, and that's not just in the Philistine territory, but also in the south of Judah, uh, the Israelite territory. They've not only come into the area, they've attacked his hometown, Ziklag itself, and they've burned it. They haven't come in and robbed it and taken off. They've burned it to the ground. They've destroyed everything that David previously owned that he had left there in Ziklag. And not only that, they've taken David's family captive. So David has experienced a series of losses. As he's come back, he's found out that there's been war happening within his land. And not only has the war been happening, but it's happened in his own town. And they've destroyed his, his town and taken away his family. And even as he experiences these losses, as he's come back and reflecting upon them, what other great loss does he experience while he's there? Well, we see that even his friends turn upon him. We read in verse 6, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Why would his men suddenly start talking of stoning him? Well, each one was in bitter spirit 
was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. Makes sense to some of us as we consider, as we think about what it would mean to lose our spouse, what it would mean to lose our sons and daughters, to not know whether they are alive or dead. We would start to want to take action against those who we would feel are responsible, or at least partly responsible, for what has happened to us. And so what is David's response to all of this? Well, it's great grief in this flood of troubles. We see in verse 4 it says, So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And we see in verse 6 that David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But what does David do as he experiences these losses, as he comes back and finds a devastation that has happened in his home? What does David do? Well, he finds strength in the Lord. We read that at the end of verse 6. But David found strength in the Lord his God. What does that mean? Well, he looked in faith to the Lord as his God. And the one who would then, if God is God, then he would be the one that would save him from his troubles. Save him from the devastation of political instability, save him from the devastation of losing all his possessions, save him from the fact that he has lost a family, and save him even from the fact that he has lost his friends, his own men are turning against him. And what is the result? As he finds strength in God, as he comes to God in faith and looks to him for salvation, what is the result? Well, we see that he inquires of the Lord. We see in verse 7, Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. As a result of looking to the Lord, he then inquires of the Lord and what the Lord would have him do in this situation. And what is the result? Well, he overcomes the Amalekites. He pursues the enemy and overcomes them. We see that he goes to pursue them in verse 9. David and the 600 men with him came to the Bessor Ravine where some stayed behind, but 200 men were too exhausted to cross the ravine. But David and 400 men continued their pursuit. And then we see the result in verse 17. Verse 17, David fought them from dusk until the evening of the next day and none of them got away except 400 young men who rode off on camels and fled. So we see the result of uh, finding strength in the Lord, going to the Lord, he inquires of the Lord, he pursues his enemies and overcomes them and he recovers everything. What do we read in verse 18? Verse 18... David recovered everything the Amalekites had taken, including his two wives. Nothing was missing, young or old, boy or girl, plunder or anything else they had taken. David brought everything back. He took all the flocks and herds and his men drove them ahead of the other livestock, saying, this is David's plunder. And as a result of overcoming the Amalekites and recovering everything, recovering these, this great spoil he is able to then enrich others as well. And we see that with his own men, the men who left behind, he enriches them, he makes sure that they have a share in the plunder. But we also see in verse 26, it says that when David arrived in Ziklag, he sent some of the plunder to the elders of Judah, who were his friends, saying, here is a present for you from the plunder, from the plunder of the Lord's enemies. So he doesn't just enrich himself, as he's looked to God for strength, as he's inquired of the Lord, as he's overcome his enemies and enriched himself, he also enriches others and particularly the people of Israel in the tribe of Judah. And so what's this chapter then show us? What does this chapter show us? Well, it shows us many things, but 
It, of course, shows us, as I've argued again and again, what 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel argue for us, try to show us, it shows us that David is qualified to be the king of Israel. David is certainly qualified to be the king of Israel. Why does this chapter show it? Well, while Saul, the king of Israel, is showing spiritual and physical weakness in consulting witches and going into battle, which we will see next week, and losing that war, being overcome by the enemies, the Philistines, what do we see from David? We see spiritual and military strength. How? He's not consulting witches, he's consulting God. He is not losing military battles, he is winning military battles. And so he is the one who is God's true king of Israel. He is the one who enriches Israel, whereas Saul is impoverishing Israel instead. And so what else do we see then in this chapter? Well, we see that David is a great type, a great shadow of the true king of Israel, the great king of Israel, which is Christ himself. Jesus Christ is the true king of Israel. How so? Well, Christ experienced the same kinds of things, but even at a greater level that we see that David experienced in this chapter. Christ also suffered the same kind of loss, but even greater. What loss did Jesus experience? Well, he experienced the loss of a nation, the loss of a nation as foreigners attacked him, as we see the Romans have taken over the land of Israel, and they're the ones who are responsible for putting him to death. What else do we see with Jesus? Well, he lost all his possessions. Even at the cross, what do we see? They're fighting, the soldiers are fighting somewhat over his undergarments. He lost everything. David had the clothes and his sword that were on him as he comes back from going out to war. Jesus lost everything. He lost everything that he owned. And what else? Well, we see that he lost his family. We see that Christ lost his family as well. as He's there at the cross. He has his family nearby. His mother is there. But his own brothers did not believe in him. And he lost his friends as well. They scattered and fled from him at the cross. He was there alone, suffering. And what was Christ's response to the suffering that he experienced, the loss that was to come upon him? What do we see? We see him grieved, overcome with sorrow, to the point that he is sweating drops of blood as he is considering what is about to happen to him, that he will lose his nation, he will lose his family, he will lose his friends, he will lose all his possessions, even the clothes on his back. We see that he knew great loss, and that great loss was coming to him. Even the father, in some sense, would turn his face away from him. And so he was greatly grieved. But what did Jesus do as he experienced great loss? He found strength in God. What do we read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23? It says that in Jesus entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He found strength in God. Like David, as he experienced all this great loss and he felt they had nothing else, he found strength in God. And that is what Jesus did as well. We see him there in the Garden of Gethsemane, crying out to God. And what do we read? We read that an angel came from God and strengthened him, gave him strength to persevere through the trial that was before him. And what was the result? Well, he inquired of the Lord. 
Not my will, but your will be done. He's praying there in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm going to do what you would have me do. And what else does he do? He overcomes his enemies. He experiences great loss, but what does he do? He overcomes his enemies, even the great enemy of death. The Lord Jesus overcomes it by his resurrection. And what else? Well, he recovers all his glory then. He recovers all his glory. And he then enriches his people, giving generously of the plunder. By his resurrection from the dead, he has inherited eternal life in heaven with all the riches that are there, and he welcomes his people to come and participate in the rewards of heaven itself. And so what do we see? Well, like David, Christ is even more qualified to be the king of Israel. How so? Well, in greater loss, he showed greater spiritual and military strength and gained an even greater victory than David did when he went against the Amalekites that day and despoiled them of what they had taken from him. And so in this chapter, we see that Jesus is the true king of Israel. We see that David is a true king of Israel, but then Jesus also is a true king of Israel as a descendant from David, but also by the way that he lives. He's not just king because his father had the throne or something like that, as we see with our kings today that or in Queens, that the next person in line is a person who is born, but we see that he is qualified, that Jesus is qualified, not just because David was his father, going back many generations, but his father in that sense. We see that Jesus is qualified because he shows spiritual strength and military strength himself. And so then what should we do? Well, we should follow the king and find strength in God when we too suffer great loss. Life is like a flooding river. It's a flooding river and there's dangerous forces coming against us all the time. From birth, we are fighting for survival. Look at a little baby. It has so many dangers around it. It needs help if it is to survive. It cannot fend for itself. And as we get older, we think that we're independent and we don't need others, but we find increasingly that we do need others, that there are forces against us all the time to impoverish us and to destroy us. And so what do we do? Well, we trust in others to save us. We look to others to help us. What do we trust in? Well, firstly, we trust in family, don't we? For stability. That's what happens with the little baby. It trusts that there will be a family around it to look after it so that it will grow up and thrive. It's natural for children to trust their parents, to help them with whatever dangers are around them. But what else do we trust in? Well, we trust in our nation, don't we? We trust in our nation for stability and the flood of forces that are against us. We trust in politicians, somewhat. We trust in queens and kings to look after us, that there's some sort of political government there that will prevent invaders from coming in. We trust in our police force and fellow citizens, our neighbours around us, fellow Australians, that they will look after us and support us and help us and, and uh, work with us so that we have food to eat and buildings around us to be secure in so that we can live in. We expect our society to provide protection for us from the elements that would destroy us. And of course, we trust in wealth, don't we? We trust in what we have for stability. We trust in the fact that if we have a large bank account and assets, that will provide a secure home for us to live in so that we can repel the forces that may be out to take our lives. And then, of course, we trust in friends for stability. 
those people around us who are not just neighbours or citizens of our nation, but those that we've developed a close relationship with. They're not family, but they're good friends. And they're there to help us and support us against evil. But all these things, what are they like? Well, they're like branches that we seize in floodwaters so we're not swept away. We're standing in the flood of life. There's forces coming against us. And what do we do? We grasp these things as branches. We grasp our family. We grasp our nation, that we have a solid and secure nation. We grasp the wealth that we have to hold us against the flood. And we grasp at friends to hold us up and to keep us safe in the flood of forces that are coming against us to destroy us. But what do we do if the Amalekites come? What do we do if the Amalekites come raiding and cut all those branches? What if our nation is invaded? What if our house is burnt to the ground with all our possessions in it and our bank account is drained dry? What happens if our family and friends are taken from us? Our friends may desert us, our family may perish, our family may disappear. What happens then? What do we do in such a circumstance? What do we have left? What do we do? Well, we do what David did when he faced such loss. What did David do? What did Christ do when he faced such loss? They found strength in God. That's what we read in verse 6. David found strength in the Lord his God. Christ found strength in the Lord his God. Now, what does that mean? Well, the Hebrew word that is used there can sometimes be used in certain contexts. It's a very common word for strengthening or something. That It's the idea of grasping as well. You grasp something with the hand. And that's what we do. We reach out. We're in the fast-flowing river of life. And there are forces coming against us. And what do we do? As we experience loss, as some branches are cut from us, we reach out and we grasp at God as the great branch. We find strength in him to hold us up against the flood. And why is it God that we reach out to? Because the river never washes God away. And no enemy can cut God as the branch and sweep us away with our God. He is the unmovable one. He is the one who is always there. And so how do we find strength in him? How do we reach out and grasp him? Well, it's by faith. Faith is the hand by which we reach out and grasp at God. We believe that he is our help, that he is our God, my God. That's what we see with David there. What does it say? David found strength in the Lord, which is the proper name for God, found strength in the Lord, his God, not the Lord, the God of Israel, no, his personal God. And that's what we do by faith. We believe God is our help, my help, Joel's help, your help. And you reach out and you believe in him. You cry out in prayer. That's what it looks like to, to find strength in God. You cry out in prayer like David and Christ did in Psalm 69 verse 1. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. Psalm 69 describes life so well. The floods engulf us. We're sinking in the depths. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. 
So what do you believe about God as you reach out and grasp him? Well, you believe that God has saved you by the cross of Christ, that he is the great branch, and you cling to the cross. Why the cross? Because that is where your sins are paid for. No matter what you've done, no matter what you may have done that even led to the great loss that you've experienced, your house being burnt down, your bank account being drained, your family turning from you, your friends deserting you, if you trust in Christ Jesus, your sins are paid for. And the Lord is your God, despite what you have done previously in your life. And what is the result then? If the Lord is your God, well, you inquire of him like David did. You inquire what you would have him do. And by the Spirit, we then overcome the torrents, the flooding waters of the river. And we are restored to have even more than we had previously We have riches even to spare to give others. And we see that with the riches that we have in heaven. We may not have our house back the way that we had it previously, if it's burnt to the ground or our bank account has been drained or our family has turned upon us, but we have a greater fulfilment of that in heaven. And we have a greater family in the brothers and sisters in Christ who we now join with. And we are now royalty. We show it by the spiritual and physical strength that we have through Christ as our king. We become princes and princesses in the kingdom because we have found strength in God. We have inquired of him. We've overcome our enemies. We even overcome the great enemy of death. And we have been enriched by God so that we even have more than enough. We have more to share with others. Now, you may say it will never happen to me. The floodwaters will never sweep me away Why? Well, because the branches I cling to are stable. My family loves me and they will always love me. My nation is a secure nation. Australia, no one's coming down here to fight against us. I'm financially secure. You don't know the size of my bank account, Joel. And I have great friends who would never turn on me. But I'm here today to warn you that one day the Amalekites will come. And they will cut every branch that you cling to. And you will be swept away. It's guaranteed to happen. How do I know? When will it happen? The day of your death. The day of your death. What happens when we die? Every branch that we cling to is cut off. We're cut off from our nation. You're cut off from your wealth. You're cut off from your family. You're cut off from your friends. And you stand alone. And then what happens? Well, if you have not clung to Christ, you are swept away to hell to grieve bitterly for all of eternity. And the only way to survive that day of loss is to find strength in God now, to grasp God, to believe in God now. Why? Because if we trust in God now, if we trust that Christ is our King, then He as our King will be our advocate as we are swept to God's throne of judgment. He will be there to be our advocate. And what will he stand up and say for you? He will stand up and say that your sins are paid for and that you now deserve restoration. Restoration with riches in heaven. That's what Jesus will do for you. So won't you see that all the branches you cling to for stability in life 
are unstable and will be cut from you one day. Won't you see that God is the only stable branch and trust in him now, crying out for him, to him for salvation, that the floodwaters have reached your neck and you need salvation from him alone? How much do you need to lose of the things that David and Christ lost before you will trust in God, before you will look to him for strength? Do you need God to take away your family before you will see their weakness and cling to God? Do you need God to bring invaders to Australia before you will see the weakness of political nations like ours and then cling to God? Do you need God to burn your house down and drain your bank account before you will see the weakness of such things and cling to God? Do you need God to turn your own friends against you before you see their weakness and turn to God? Do you need to die before you see the weakness of these things? At the risk of sounding completely heartless to you this morning, may God sweep away everything from you that you cling to if it keeps you from coming to him, if it keeps you from trusting in him for salvation. May God take it all. Why would I say such a thing? Well, I want you to enjoy a nation, wealth, family and friends in heaven for all of eternity instead of hell's bitterness. What is better, to stand in the flood of life, clinging to a stable nation like Australia is, clinging to wealth, clinging to lots of family and friends around you, only to be swept away along with them all at death? Or to stand in the flood with an unstable nation, with no king, with no prime minister, with no police force around us, with no family, with no friends, in dire poverty, yet clinging to God, so you're never swept away, but you're restored for eternity with nation, wealth, family and friends for all of eternity. War, loss of possessions, loss of loved ones, it's horrible. Yes, it's horrible. But is the loss so horrible of such things if losing them causes you no longer to trust in them, but to trust in God instead and therefore inherit eternal life? It's wonderful if God, in his mercy, allows us to pass into glory surrounded by luxuries, but isn't it better to pass into glory without luxuries than not to pass into glory at all, but to pass into hell instead? Too many people, they never realise that what they're finding strength in each day will one day be cut away from them. And so what's the problem? They're not ready for death. They're not ready for death and will be cast into hell. But what can happen to those who experience great loss? And we see this again and again in history. Those who experience great loss, like David, they turn to God because they realise they have nothing else. And so they come to God. Won't you find faith in God as well and be ready for death? Realising your weakness, realising the weakness of everything around you and finding true strength in God. Why God? Because he is the one who is always there, who is never swept away and is never cut by an Amalekite as we hang on to him.
So what are you finding strength in each day? Where do you go to for strength? Is it God? Is it our nation? Is it our wealth? Is it your family? Is it your friends? If it's not God, won't you realise today that whatever branch you're hanging on to will be cut one day? And won't you find strength today by faith in the same God, the same God that David found strength in thousands of years ago and that Jesus found strength in thousands of years ago? It's still the same God who is looking at you right now. And if you reach out to him and look to him, you can find strength in him now. How long and what has to happen to you before you will cry out, as David did, save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. What has to happen to you before you will cry that out? Won't you be royalty? Royalty who inquires of God, who overcomes the enemies by the power of the Spirit, who recovers much and enriches others. Won't you become royalty by inquiring of God? coming to him in prayer and asking him for help. All of us should be examining ourselves to see if we have this saving faith, this faith that grasps at God. How do you know if you've got it? Well, are you one who inquires of God? Are you one who overcomes the evil forces that are coming against you? Are you fighting sin and seeing victory against sin? Are you feeling enriched each day by God himself? I'm not talking about physical riches. I'm talking about spiritual riches and having enough to share them with others. If you see that, you have that saving faith that David had, that Christ had so many years ago as they looked to God for strength in their loss. And if you are one who has cried out to God and has grasped God and has that strength, won't you rejoice with us each week in the flood waters that are around us, even when we suffer loss as a nation, even when our queen dies, even when we suffer loss personally as our possessions are taken from us, even when we lose family, even when we lose friends? We rejoice. We rejoice. Why? Because we sing Bernard's hymn, I will cling to the old rugged cross and exchange it someday for a crown. We can rejoice even in great loss. Why? Because we cling to the old rugged cross and know therefore that someday we will exchange it for a crown. So won't you rejoice with David? Won't you rejoice with David? that though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. That's what he says in Psalm 27. Though my father and mother forsake me, those great icons of stability in our lives, even though they may forsake me, the Lord will receive me because he is the true branch that never moves and is never cut away. Let's come to him in prayer. Let's speak with our God. Heavenly Father, we praise you as the great branch, the unmovable one in the flood waters. We thank you for the example of the great kings of Israel. We thank you for the example of David. 
And we thank you for the example of Jesus Christ who found strength in you in the face of weakness and loss. Oh Lord, we confess that too often we trust in what is unstable instead of you. We trust in our nation. We trust in our family. We trust in our possessions. We trust in our friends instead of yourself. Oh Lord, we ask that you would help us to realise the weakness of everything apart from you. And so trust in you and your son, Jesus Christ, and his work for believers at the cross. And then, God, we pray that you would help us to live joyous lives, even in the floodwaters, knowing that we will overcome all enemies and be restored to our heavenly home in due time by your power. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.